Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Book Club for the Apocalypse. I am your host, President Haley. If you're wondering why I'm using the term president, uh, if anyone who's ever been in a book club knows that there's always one person that is the president and leader of said book club. And I actually, if you need to look at my resume, I was a book club president when I was in college. Nerdy fact about me. So I'm well qualified to be the gracious leader and host of this little podcast. But this is part two of our discussion of the book, The Girl in Red by Christina Henry. Before we get started, as always, this is your official spoiler alert warning. I will be talking in depth about the second half of this book. And this is an incredibly spoiler heavy segment. I would actually say you could probably get away listening to the last episode and still read the book and have plenty of surprises in store. This part, if you have any interest whatsoever in reading this book without spoilers, this is your warning right now. Spoilers are coming. So if you want to read it, press stop, go back, read it, finish it, and then come back and press play. Now that no one can sue me for reading the book, okay. Let's get right into the second half. So this is chapters nine all the way to the end. Let me tell you, um, I enjoyed the first half of the book a lot more than I enjoyed the second half. Uh, it's a little disappointing. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll get into why it was disappointing in a second. But to begin with, the second half of the book also features quite a few new characters that were not part of the first half. So the first thing that happens in the second half of the book, like immediately, is our heroine of this journey, Red. Good old Red Riding Hood basically is who she is. That's what she's an allegory for. Runs into these two children named Sam and Riley. Sam is a 10-year-old female, I believe. Riley, I think is he's like eight and a little boy. He's our brother and sister, and they have somehow managed to survive the apocalypse up to this point. And I mean, she finds them in pretty bad condition. Like they're they're skinny. They're they need better winter clothes for the coming winter. That's a key part of this second half of the journey too. Is she really has to get to her grandma's house before winter happens, wherever she is. Like snow is a thing, and I believe she probably lives in a somewhat mountainous region. So she's got to get to her grandma's before the weather gets really bad. And she comes across as brother and sister. And she decides to befriend them, gain their trust. And they become, they form a little band to continue on together. Um, which is good for these kids because they probably would have eventually died without her or someone else's intervention. She also does this because she doesn't want this pack of guys that are running around as a little homegrown militia finding them. Um, they're just bad dudes. They've been going around raiding 
neighborhoods that she's stumbled across, leaving nothing for anyone else to find, taking people, all this really bad stuff. Um, so she befriends them, and they continue on this journey together. Now, a key part of the introduction of these two characters, which this wasn't the part of the book that I found disappointing. I thought it was quite interesting. It humanizes her character a lot more. You can't really develop a character without the presence of other people. I mean, you can, but it's a lot harder because who a person is in their own head and dealing with the elements by themselves is very different from a person who has to do that and also watch out for two young children. So this is a good character development stage in the book. She's incredibly humanized by the fact that she assigns herself the role of guardian of these children. Um, it also throws a wrench in the works. Before I've talked about this character being a Mary Sue. She's still very much a Mary Sue. Even in the second half of the book, she still has flawless spidey senses, basically. I'll just call them spidey senses. She calls them paranoia. But really, they're spidey senses because they're never wrong. I think you could get away calling them paranoia or a problem if at some point she thinks something's going wrong and it doesn't. Or she thinks herself into a problem. But that never happens. So until if that had actually happened, I would say she's less of a Mary Sue. But that, that never that humanizing mistake never actually happens. The kids do that. The kids act like kids, which is a good element to have, but she's still kind of this Mary Sue character, unfortunately. Um, we also find out in the second half why she and her brother are no longer together. So here's the first spoiler alert. He's died. They didn't separate. I actually thought leading up to it that maybe he went off to a quarantine camp or he was kidnapped or something. Um, no, he died. And how he died in the past tense, this is what was disappointing about the book. What happens is they find a store, she and her brother in the past, they find a store to get food, and they find the store owner with his chest looking like it's been caved in, but it hasn't been caved in. It looks like something's burst out of it. They literally make a reference to those alien movies where some, like, a little tiny alien bursts out of someone's chest, and they, like, bleed to death, and their organs have been liquidized or eaten. And that's essentially what this dead body looks like. And Red talks about how that doesn't make any sense. Because <laughs> the cough that supposedly caused this apocalypse to happen is just a cough. It's just a virus and a cough. And you cough until you hemorrhage and then you die. And viruses don't mutate into things that burst out of people's chest. And she's correct. Um, that at no point will happen by the fact that na the nature of the fact that um, 
viruses are literally not alive. They're organic matter, but they are technically not alive. It's a protein coat, some RNA. That's kind of it. All it exists to do is replicate itself, find a host and replicate, which means that if it doesn't find a host, it perishes, it goes away. Within a host, it replicates to the point of overwhelming the system. And actually, and I'll get more into virus um, schematics and things like that in the next episode, but she is correct. At no point will a virus mutate to where it can burst out of someone's chest. It, it physically, it can't. But that appears to be what's happening. So what they do, or what her brother does, and you find out he's just kind of a tool, which was disappointing. I, I, I get the whole brothers are irritating, but I was disappointed that this character didn't, you know, like, you know, times have changed. Like, we watched our parents die. It's just the two of us. We need to look out for each other. At no point does he take on that characteristics. He's selfish and stupid, like, to the end, which is really disappointing and you really feel for Red having to kind of deal with him. But anyway, but then he dies. But anyway, they try to, or he tries to investigate and find this creature because there's a bloody trail leading to the back room of the store. And what happens essentially is this military unit roll up, legit military, because there's two. There's this militia of homegrown just dudes that stockpile guns before, you know, things got crazy, which you'll have pretty much in every town in the U.S. And then there's, like, the actual military doing, like, actual jobs that they were told to do by whatever government or semblance of it is left alive. Um, so the actual military find them. And it's kind of a frightening scene because they initially start treating them like basically like terrorists. I mean, they, they surround them, they point guns at them, start yelling at them to get down. And keep in mind, these are unarmed young adults in a time of panic. But it's a pandemic caused by a cough. So, you know, it's kind of an overreaction. So, of course, the question is, why are they overreacting to this point? And what happens is, and which is pretty much along the lines of what Red was thinking of, like, we're private citizens. We're not criminals. Like, yeah, we're not at the quarantine camp, but we're not criminals. We're not armed, even. I mean, she has an axe, but they can't even see that. And what's an axe going to do in the face of a of 15 automatic weapons? So, you know, like, they don't pose a threat. So why this overreaction? And what happens is these two leaders of this unit or whatever it's called, group of dudes, roll up and start answering some of her questions. And the two characters, and one of them will be more relevant than the other, but their their names that you find out are Lieutenant Reagan and Sergeant. Saroy, I think is how it's pronounced. I'm just going to say that. I could be totally wrong. S-I-R-O-I-S. So they are pretty stereotypical. The lieutenant is very by the book, 
kind of seems like he was like fresh out of the academy. Doesn't get some of her plebeian references to things. Anyway, he, he's just a lieutenant, just cut and dry. That's all he is. He also dies pretty quickly, so it's irrelevant. And the sergeant is actually the character you feel bad for. Where you're like, this is just... <laughs> he woke up one morning and it was like, this is what you have to do now. And he's like, well... Gee. Don't really want to, but technically that's my job now. But he's the more humanized, older, experienced one. You know, probably is the kind of experience where he knows what's worth arguing over and getting in a tizzy over and what's not. And he chill, he's the more chill one of, yeah, these are just two young adults that don't even have weapons. But anyway, um, what happens simultaneously is there's discovered by these guys who have complete, intent of taking them to the nearest quarantine camp when the brother tries to show the lieutenant that they found these bloody tracks to this back room and red's trying to tell him to shut the hell up and they get separated and then the homegrown militia attacks so it's like a firefight's going on her brother's missing but it gives her an opportunity to get away from this sergeant guy who's trying to like take her blood or something like to test it for the disease, but she thinks it's to put a tracker in her. You never find out which one it is, but she goes, she tries to find her brother. She finds him and he's lying up against the wall, bleeding out because his legs have literally been like eaten to the bone, which is terrifying. And he tells her not to look behind the door and then he dies so yeah, that's real ambiguous. Um, and then she manages to get away with the help of the sergeant. She runs away from the firefight and from everything. She just gets away. And yeah, that brings us up to then she meets Sam and Riley. And what happens is basically they find an older gentleman who's been holding out this whole time in this neighborhood near where this homegrown militia is and he somehow conveniently still has running water and electricity and food because his house is like it's a homestead it, it's um it's powered by a generator and he stockpiled gas while things were getting crazy and he's got a well-fed water system or something. They, they explain it. it. It's, it's very convenient. It wasn't really something I had an issue with. I was reading it for entertainment value. The point is they found this nice older Asian gentleman that makes them kimchi. I'm not even kidding you. Um, who's kind of the reverse of red where she's trying to get to her grandma's house and he's waiting for his son and his son's wife and their kids to make it to his house because he called them and said, you need to get here. So he's like her grandma. He's waiting for them. And again, I didn't have an issue with it. Although it doesn't seem believable that one, this one older gentleman 
held out this long against um, a militia that checks this area nightly. I think a few times a day they send a, a scouting group to walk through to see if any newcomers have shown up. And he was telling them, he was also filling them on the militia saying they've been taking people. They come across people, any kind of survivors, and they shoot any men amongst them and take women and children. So clearly they're not good dudes. Um, and that's when Red decides that she needs to go establish where their camp is. Because if they're going to run into them on the way to her grandma's house, obviously they'd be in huge trouble. She's just one young woman with an axe. They have guns. There's a lot of them. And it's her and two kids. So she's trying to find a way kind of around it. And what was disappointing wasn't up to this point, everything's been fine except for this weird monster thing. And again, it keeps you in suspense of like, what is it? Um, is it part of the virus? Is it something else? Is it actually an alien type of pathogen deal? Or is it like people killing one another in really gruesome ways? Here's a spoiler. Um, it is. It is literally an alien style pathogen. It is described as like a giant worm with teeth. Which for me, the minute I found that out, I was really disappointed. Because I didn't think honestly, that the story that the pandemic needed that weird aspect to it. I think it would have been just as effective to say, no, it's just, it's just the cough. That's it. There's a terrible cough disease. There is no cure. The government's broken down. The world is in chaos. That's it. That I think would have been effective. Reading this last lead up of the book, it felt like the author was rushed or maybe she didn't want to commit to potentially multiple books. Because I could see this book, if it had gone a different way, stretched out to two or three other books. But instead, it's just weird pathogen that is kind of like the movie Alien. And even more than that, you never learn why it exists. All you get is this one tidbit she, where she later runs back into the sergeant guy that saved her. And he all he tells her, because he's being really tight-lipped about the whole situation, is no, the cough wasn't, because there was some question of whether or not the cough was created in a government lab. And he says, no, it wasn't. But the other thing the weird creature thing was. And that is literally all you get to learn about it. Why I have a problem with this is so many things. Um, maybe just because I don't like not knowing, but it's also this character to this point has been so careful about learning things about the disease of the cough. And so for the fact that at the end, she finds out this tidbit, that it was made in a government lab, and she just goes, you know what, I don't want to know. It's so contrary to her character up to this point, where all she's wanted to do is learn more about it, understand it, how do we fight it, or keep from getting it when, with the cough. 
And now there's this new thing, which again, completely unnecessary. And her response is, don't even want to know. Like, really? That's that's nothing like how she's been this whole time. If she's wanted to know the location of this homegrown militia, the best way to get to her grandma's house, the cough, the details of it, what this thing was, like, it, it it's so not what her character has been up until now. Which is why, again, I think the author was like, realized she had just written a book that probably either had to be a lot longer, could turn into two books, or she took the route of, I'm just going to wrap this up real quick because I don't want to keep writing this story. And then just ended it abruptly. But in a way that's very disappointing and contrary to the character she's made up until this point. Because you would think at the very least that this character would want to know, okay, there's this other alien type pathogen out there. Well, where did it come from? Okay, government lab, but how do you get it? How do you contract it? Like, is it in the water? Is it in food? Like, what? Because if her whole point is survival and she doesn't know that, how is she going to make sure that she doesn't get it or the people around her don't get it? So... Yeah, that that was disappointing. The 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 explanation for why she doesn't want to know, why she just continues on to her grandma's house is really kind of poor in my opinion. She just says at the end of the day, you know, all these movies they talk about a girl like me who's like supposed to be the savior or whatever, you know, like the protagonist is this young female who's supposed to investigate and save the world. And it just sums up where she says, I don't want that role. That's not who I am. And also this isn't a movie. This is real life. That's not how this goes. So she just says, don't want to know and continues on to her grandma's house. And again, I think it would have been okay if she had taken that route anyway, but if it had just been the cough again, like she could have said, you know, I'm, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a world leader. I'm just a kid trying to survive these, this new, this brave new world we live in without this weird pathogen without the, you know what? I don't even want to know. So yeah, that, that was just really disappointing. I mean, and, and the, even the book ends where she gets to her grandma's house and she sees smoke coming out of the chimney and like clearly signs of life and she knocks on the door and then it ends. She doesn't, there's not like this big reunion scene or something of, you know, she got there safe and you know, they started a new life with what they could. They started the process of, okay, we finally got a house now we have to start creating a new type of life. No, you don't even get that. And that lack of any kind of satisfaction was so disappointing. So I guess to kind of review this book or give it a, a final review, I will say I finished it. So there's that. It is well written. It does make you want to finish it. Um, the first half was definitely better than the second. I found the ending disappointing. I'll give it a Goodreads three stars.
So, well written. I wouldn't say don't read it necessarily. I mean, at this point, I've spoiled it for you. But if you still want to read it, do so. It's still a really good book. It's really well written. That ending was just... I, I can't get over how disappointed I am in the ending. So it, it's definitely not going to be one of those books that I hold on to. But yeah, three-star review. Interesting. Yeah, pretty, pretty straightforward book. So that is the second part of my review of The Girl in Red by Christina Henry. This is a post-apocalypse novel based on a pandemic. And next time, because we were talking about pandemics and considering right now we are actually living in a pandemic, uh, COVID-19, I'll be meeting with a friend of mine. She's got a background in biomed. She's about to go get her nursing degree. And we're going to talk about the previous pandemics that this world has seen that were flu-based and kind of talk more about the realistic factors and elements that you actually see in this book versus the unrealistic kind, like the fact that an, basically an alien child bursts through people's lungs. So, but that'll be next time. Uh, we'll get in real deep with the science behind those pandemics. So I hope you all enjoyed listening to my take on the girl in red. Again, just because I didn't like it doesn't mean other people won't. It's still a really well-written book. Just the ending was for me just the not not what I was expecting. I'll, I'll give him that. I wasn't expecting it, but I was also disappointed. So tune in next time for me and my good friend to talk about viruses and pandemics while we currently live through them. So that will be very much a meta discussion. But hopefully it'll also make people feel a lot better about what we're currently experiencing. Okay. Y'all stay safe out there.